Welcome to The Undeniable, brought to you by Over Above. In marketing, everything has changed. It's undeniable. But how can you navigate this dynamic new business and technology landscape today for exponential marketing success tomorrow? Hosted by Over Above's Chief Innovation Officer, Devin Spear, The Undeniable explores that question with industry experts across diverse categories, from technology innovators to C-level leaders to sales and marketing veterans. Now, here's your host, Devin Spear, along with Over Above principal and co-founder, John Vistilio. Today, John Vestilio and I are sitting down with Ray Owens for part two of a fascinating discussion about the evolution and disruption that's taking place in data-driven marketing. Ray is the CEO of DX Marketing. His company recently won the Oracle SMB Innovator of the Year Award. So, Ray, tell us, uh, tell us all about that. Well, we found that, and, and obviously working with you guys, that um, so much of the, the data platforms that are out there are, are enterprise level. They're, the cost of entry is really high. And we found that uh, this, the SMB means small, medium business space. We found that these regional brands and, and companies were having a hard time getting access to some of these tools. So being longtime you know, handlers of data, we took the opportunity uh, in working with Oracle to build a tech stack that we could actually turn around and share with, with the SMB space. So Oracle saw that and, and the fact that we could bring these, these types of enterprise level tools down to help promote small and medium businesses. It's almost like a, you open source, like you open source, not really. No, um, if you think about the way that some of these platforms are built is for a singular brand to go and, and use them, like a DMP. Some companies, they'll just plug their data into the DMP. So if you think of some large hotel groups or, or banks or whatever, will be a single source into these platforms. Well, and, they're, and they're kind of, they're, they're a little bit pricey. So what we found was that we'll, we, we plugged into them as a company and then we turn around and we share that, that all that massive amount of data with lots of smaller companies. So what Oracle realized is that, you know, we were their customer and we were buying this data, right? But we were actually using the data to promote 30 other companies who needed access to this type of platform. Gotcha, yeah. So we were able to amortize the, the cost a, a amongst these clients. But more importantly, and, I, and we say this in our, kind of in our mission statement, is that we wanted to level the playing field for the, for the SMB space against larger competitors and give them the tools to, to effectively compete. So that, that's really, so Oracle uh, recognized that what we were doing was sort of spreading uh, some positive marketing data you know, with multiple companies that not wouldn't necessarily be able to afford the platform itself. Yeah, that's the um, it's the cumulative effect, right? The more sure, more data breeds more data, like the herd effect. Yeah, the herd Literally. effect. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I think I think that's that's fascinating. I, when I try to describe our partnership and working together, I often say, Ray, that uh, the what we're doing together allows. Uh, like you just defined, SMB, small, medium businesses, to do what was previously restricted to only the Fortune 100, sure. maybe Fortune 500. I mean, they, they, are, they are doing this and have been for maybe a decade, but now, in 2019, it's, it's available to a bigger audience. Yeah, and John will, will, will appreciate this. You know, back in the, in the direct mail days when you're buying lists, and you know, the demographic list and the hot leads list that came out on a monthly basis, you roughly uh, had choices of, of six or 700 variables potential. Now, we don't use that many, but the lists themselves were fairly uh, um, compressed in terms of the variables that are available. One of the things we found fascinating when we got to look at the, at the data management platforms, the DMPs that are out there, is the amount of the, the exponential 
additional amount of, of data that's there. So we're dealing with 700 attributes over here on the offline world, but we're dealing with 70,000 variables on the online. So it just, it just creates more depth, more scope, more insights into what, what our, our potential consumers are doing or customers for our clients, but also the, their own customers as well. You, you, plug, you plug data into these DMPs, and it just it really gives them an advantage um, uh, to grow their business that is really um, just available to a select few. When I say select few, I mean hundreds, hundreds of companies that can really afford to get into these to these this a massive amount of data. Um, is it worth defining online and offline? I mean, some of our audience probably knows the obvious part, but but the offline data is is more the historical view of. Right, it's the typical, um, it's the physical address. You live at 123 Main Street. Um, you have two cars, uh, two kids. Um, you know, uh, you live in a certain neighborhood, zip code, um, you know, DMA. So all, all just typical um, uh, demographics, some lifestyle information. You know, they, they like to play tennis. The, these are the typical things that are compiled by the offline uh, data sets. Some of the, so when you buy a mailing list, let's say, that's where you're getting from. We call that the offline file. Right. But if you were to take these these um, consumers and put them into a DMP, into the online space, it just opens up more in terms of their activity. Um, and they do it in a really smart, privacy-protected way uh, because the, the last thing you want to do is, is violate anybody's privacy right. individually. So what the DMPs do, and I think it's very smart, is that they aggregate it. And so they only show you observations at, at a kind of a high minimum. I think it's 3,000, you know. So if you put 50,000 people in to the DMPs, they won't start showing you activity until at least 3,000 are, are, are showing and collecting the same thing. So it's a way to sort of not intrude upon privacy, but get insights that tell you this is what your consumer wants to do. This is what how they want to be communicated with. And here, here are the actions they're taking um, that we could actually drive an effective channel. Like, is it going to be social media? Is it going to be programmatic? Is it going to be streaming radio? Um, that's the channel. You figure that out. But it's really what's the how, how do you uh, effectively communicate with them? And, and John was talking about um, you know what some of the motivations that drive them, uh, you know, what appeals to them about the brand, and communicating with them in a one-to-one way. And that's those are those are the the things, John. We were talking about the DNA from direct mail is to be able to effectively use online space in a one-to-one manner. Yeah. And I think that the key there is we've got the the demographic, but we always we always uh, strategically our process is all about getting to the psychographics, right? The behaviors, yeah. the wants, needs, and desires. And I think when you when you layer your online and your offline, that's when you're able to truly get a better sense of who your audience is and and what you could say that would actually trigger them to do something, to act. Yeah, yeah John, you know, as a, as a direct marketer, uh, we would buy a mailing list, we'd put some great collateral together, and we'd mail it to a house and hope that they were in market for the, for the product right. or service we were, we were promoting. And now you can actually identify those folks ahead of time, put them in onto the online space, and actually wait for them to demonstrate some type of behavior that, that's around your product or service. So we call them, that's when they raise their hand. So we're, we're very respectful. You put them into the DMP and you wait for them to actually show the, the intent. And then that's when you actually engage with the marketing message. One, it's more efficient yeah, uh, yeah. because you, you've got a, a large pool and you're only talking to the folks who are actually showing intent. And so that's the way we felt to, to, to leverage uh, what's going on in the online space. But we, we 
rather put the, our data there and not use the trans, uh, we call it non-transparent data that's, that's kind of swirling. We, we want to know who we're talking to. Yeah. So it's really important. Um, along those lines, what if the Beatles promoters had access to all your data back in the 1960s? <clears throat> well, I think the Beatles actually would have wanted better sound equipment. <laughs> Because that was their problem. They could, they'd go into stadiums and they couldn't even hear themselves play. I never knew that. Yeah, that's why they, the Shea Stadium, they, they went out and they played for 35 minutes and or something like that, and they couldn't hear themselves. The, the sound system just wasn't very good. They had to actually plug into the PA system of the, of the, of the baseball stadium. Oh, my God. Yeah, so it wasn't wasn't uh, that's, one their, that's one of their biggest shows, the Shea Stadium show. Yeah, it was one of their last ones. Uh, at the, or it might have been San Francisco. When they, that's when they stopped touring because they just couldn't hear themselves. They couldn't duplicate their songs on stage. The, the technology wasn't there. But fast forward, you have know, five years, six years, it was. But that's, that was right at the breakup. Well, and in a little bit of seriousness, um, <laughs> in the 60s, there probably wasn't even really in a list. Could you buy a mailing list in the 1960s? I guess you could, you think? Well, uh, you, you could. I mean, you really had uh, a handful of, of channels, uh, broadcast channels, what, three or four, the big ones. So if you wanted an audience... You you picked the either all three or Television. one of the three, yeah. right? Um, you had lots of radio, which was the other way in which you decided who you're who was listening or watching. But the fact of the matter is, uh, it was all batch and blast. It was all pray and spray, right? <laughs> the thing is that the consumer had less channel, less opportunities to be exposed to marketing messages and communications, right? They had their mailbox. And they had the three big three, you know, television stations. They had a handful of radio stations. So as marketers, we had a high propensity of being able to reach our audience because we had a limited amount of channels. Yeah. Think, about the, think about the transformation aside from data, aside from insights. The, the channels and mediums in which we can reach consumers is exponentially growing. And oh, mm -hmm. by the way, don't forget that it's all on demand. It's mm -hmm. when the consumer wants it how the consumer wants it, where the consumer wants it. I remember having a conversation with my business partner, Ralph. This is probably a decade ago. And we had some, some uh, important political, uh, I guess it was a, a presidential election. And, uh, and I was asking whether or not his daughter, who was, I think, in college at the time, now um, a really <coughs> important member of the Over Above team, uh, I asked her, you know, is, is Nikki going to watch the debates? And... Uh, and he said, you know, I talked to her about that, but uh, uh, her answer was, why would, I why would I turn on the television to watch the debate? I'll watch when I'm ready to watch that debate. Yeah. And it was just a, an interesting expression of, you know, we grew up in a, in a society in a time when, when it was there, we signed up. Yeah, we turned on, we tuned in. Yeah. And naturally she just she just knew that that wasn't where she came from she came from when i want to watch it where i want to watch it how i want to watch it i'm going to watch it yes yeah, it's, uh, it's the difference between a synchronous world and an asynchronous world everything is everything is on demand so uh, yeah the schedule the broadcast schedule is is completely irrelevant but the, the, to try to be um, a little strategic in this you know this 1960s question something did happen for millions of 16 17 18 year olds in the United States 
that they knew about this Beatlemania craze. And, and maybe it was, I think radio played a huge role, right? And, and a little bit of television and moms and dads and newspapers. But I, I would argue, or we could you know, debate, was it more viral marketing? Was it more word of mouth? And, uh, and, and then the venues, the concerts. Right. But, but contrast that with today where we're doing all that, like we've been talking about, we're doing all that in a targeted data-driven way, not an analog way. Yeah, I, there was a great example I heard. Um, I saw uh, the founder of the Geek Squad you know, at Best Buy. They, Best Buy bought them. I saw him um, uh, speak at a conference, and, and we were chatting afterwards. And we were talking about exactly what you said about 16, 17-year-olds or, or and now with commu- communication devices uh, linking folks together. He said, yeah, I was in Washington, D.C., and it snowed, and it sm- snowed like crazy. And, and, someone's, and then they put out a little note out on social media, let's have a snowball fight on the, on the, on the mall. You know, and and 2,000 people showed up an hour later. 2,000. 2,000. I mean, how do you how do you you know, activate that many people that yeah. quickly? And it was within an hour. They were on the mall having snowball fights, all coming from the same message. Uh, yeah. you so know, imagine it, Twitter yeah. in the 1960s. Yeah, you know, you, you <coughs> remind me of something that we talked about earlier, and that is the, the, um, the adoption of the sharing of data. When, when you recognize that there's a benefit, you mentioned Uber, we, we talk about... Um, other other platforms when there's a measure of convenience i'm in take for example all these great food trucks who will geolocate at a at a a not a pre-disclosed location right but they will geolocate at a at 11 30 when they're ready to start serving and so the the millennial all, all of us old guys too we're in you know, we're, we've, we've adopted that technology, that platform, that's mm-hmm. capturing data, and I'm using and sharing that data in a way that has a benefit for me. So I think when you, when you, in the conversations that we're having with our clients, when you contextualize it that way, yeah. there's something in it for you, right? And when you can get to that one-on-one where I'm providing you relevant messages, not irrelevant messages, I think it begins to sort of, bring down the anxiety associated with uh, privacy and all those those kinds of things. Yeah, I think the, the food truck example is a good one because if you think of all the, the location intelligence that goes through, like the driving apps, like Waze, and I mentioned that before, is that, you know, they can see aggregation of people and, and bodies in, in certain areas and, and bring and food trucks are coming up and going to where the action is. And that's all, it's, it's, it's using the same thing and it's benefiting the crowd that's there um, so is that intrusive, um, or is it convenience? Right. And, um, so the, I, I, I play upon convenience with an option to, to limit, you know, what you broadcast, and what you don't broadcast, but we, it, there is a definite benefit. We, we talked about this at, at dinner the other night about, um, an emerging area that you, you, we will be accessing at least in the next one to two years. It's called satellites as a service. And this is, um, this is going to be initially empowered by uh, Amazon's product called uh, Ground Station. So they're, they're networking an, an array, a constellation of live satellites. And then third-party uh, companies, startups, uh, are using that live satellite data through machine learning AI 
to recognize physical patterns in any latitude and longitude in the United States in real time, like the, the second, what's happening. So, so the food truck example, I don't, have to, I don't have to just track the geolocation of so many smartphones. I'm seeing the dimensions of how many food trucks, how long they are, what the temperature of the, of the smokestack from the barbecue or the, the, the Korean uh, beef, whatever that is, I'm <laughs> seeing that in real time. I'm seeing people in stadiums. I'm seeing the average age of vehicles or the average age of people all from freaking outer space. <laughs> and that's going to be another subscription. You just subscribe to that just like you would any, any other data service you're subscribing to. That's the craziness of this exponential yeah. curve. And I think, look, let's, let's uh, call a spade a spade. I think as consumers, we have become incredibly skeptical and we have put our defenses up because marketers, ad agencies have bombarded us for decades. Mm-hmm. So much so that, that we are disregarding, deleting, ignoring at alarming rates, right? Some people might say, well, it's all that data stuff and it's all that, you know, that that's what's causing it. Some might say, well, it's all the channels and mediums and I think it's, it's a lack of relevance mm-hmm. that's caused it. I think it's, I think the consumer wants to communicate across these channels. I think they want to have the opportunity to engage when they want to engage. We're not saying as a, as a people, I don't want email anymore. We hate it. It's the bane of our existence, but it's critical to the way that we conduct business, uh, conduct our lives. So I think it's, it behooves the marketer to be smarter about how you actually serve up messages. And so I, I think that we have to recognize that the propensity to ignore and delete and disregard is our opportunity, right? Because what we really need to do is figure out ways of cutting through that clutter and cutting through that noise and making sure that the message that we are responsible for creating for the brands that we represent actually cuts through. And, and you do that with insight. You do that with knowledge. You do that with data. And, and if we talk about that on-demand generation, knowing where they want that content. Well, it is. You know, and when you were talking about the broadcast before, you know, the brands, you would trust brands. You'd see the message. And really, there was like the 70 80% belief in that brand because what they were saying was true. But today, it's, it's the complete opposite. The consumer will make the decision on what's, what's yeah. most effective. So to your point, um, you have to take, when you have that opportunity to communicate, it's got to be right on. Yeah, we talk a lot about how um, consumers don't trust brands anymore. Oh, yeah. And uh, some of our client prospects, existing clients say, wait, 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 wait. How could that be true when people are passionate about Apple? They're passionate about yeah. uh, other, other. And it's not that they don't have a love. <laughs> For a brand, but they don't trust the brand. They're actually, they actually know the brand is pushing something in some way, shape, or form, right? And so they're relying on third-party endorsement and influencers and and others to reinforce their confidence that they should adopt a new brand. The brands that they love, they love because it emotionally feeds their wants, needs, and desires. But they still. The, the, the brands have to recognize that the consumer is in control, right? Because 
we're on an on-demand society because of the knowledge that we're able to to aggregate because of all of these other factors that we're talking about. And I think that that's a really incredible opportunity for for marketers today. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that um, I, I'm not going to get on Apple. I, I'm a big fan of Apple, but I'm, I'm also a fan but of you open don't, source. You don't have an iPhone. No, I, I <laughs> I'm an Android guy, but I but the, the rest of my kids are all are all Apples. You're one of the few. I mean, this is just like a little bit of a, oh. a, an end of one survey, but you're one of the few hardcore data guys I know that are really dedicated to Android. I mean, you have an Android watch, an Android phone, so yeah. it's just it's interesting that you didn't go the Apple route where. No, it's funny. I, I have six kids, and uh, every every single one of them carries an Apple. Uh, my wife carries an Apple, and I'm the only Android. In the family. Why is that? Why? Um, I just there's something about it um, that it's just a little. I don't know. It's just this this preference for more technical things, and it comes back from PC versus yeah, or Windows versus uh, um, uh, iOS. I get that. Yeah, yeah so I've just always leaned in that direction. But you know, I'm I'm a fan of open source stuff, and we were talking about the DMPs is sharing data and being and, and collecting and collaborating. I, I I I get upset sometimes that some of these platforms wall themselves off, and and I and Apple is interesting because they they were cutting cookies, you know, Safari's cutting cookies and, and access, and you know, so they you're not sharing your data, but then they come out and hand you a credit card, you know, just this this month to collect and aggregate and see your purchases. And so I'm like, you, you can't have it both ways. You're shutting off the rest of the consumers and you're only, and you're walling in your own and, and, and gathering the same data. And so uh, it's a little, a little, it's contradictory and it's a little hypocritical as well. So, so I think of the, the quintessential walled garden as Facebook. Why don't, why don't you just talk a little bit about how Facebook partitions their data well, I tell you, if I could understand why they make their rules the way they do, like they, they shut off real estate, you know, um, there was some, some HUD concerns, so they cut off um, targeting for real estate. I think our audience wants to learn, you know, this insight. You're, you're an insider. You're a big data insider. You know what is happening in these platforms uh, more than a lot of folks. So just uh, pick up on the Facebook thing. The Facebook sure. is a walled garden. What does that really mean? Well, it just means that the the data they're collecting, um, they're using it obviously for for their own uses, and so and they're and they're selling advertising, right? So you want access to this group, but you don't get a whole lot of information about who you're targeting or, or who you're, you're reaching out to or a potential customer, and that's what the, the Wall Garden does. It they, they sort of keep it internal. It's unfortunate that the problem they had with Cambridge Analytica yeah. and the, that data, they gave data to a third party who who misused it. And so, and what they did was they penalized the advertisers who were buying their platform anonymously, not getting their data, and they they were penalized. They, um, if you if you're aware, they turned off their partner categories um, that that allowed us as as clients and advertisers to be a little more effective in targeting. You know, we could choose certain variables we wanted within their platform. So we reached you know moms, you know, or we reached soccer moms in, in a, with some of those those overlays. They cut all that out. And so now uh, what we're having to do is we're having to identify the soccer moms first and then put them into Facebook um, because that's who we want to talk to. And, I, and I'm using that as an example. But, but is, that, is that methodology um, in actuality a, a, better, a better process? <clears throat> I, I think it is because it, get, it gets back to this thing about transparency. We want to know who we're communicating with. Yeah. Because, and John mentioned it before, this, this sort of load and push, this is, it's, it's almost back to, to just mass. And, and, and we're, we're, there's a lot of waste there because we're not reaching the right consumer. 
So uh, Facebook's just made it harder for you to actually, as an advertiser, use their platform that way. So, um, but fortunately, because we're, we're building the data first and pushing so much of it to them as a partner, um, we've, we're doing the targeting up front and then using uh, Facebook as the, really as the channel uh, for the application to actually to, to reach that person if they're on if they're actually in app and using Facebook at that time. And would you say Google is much different? Um, I mean, is Google's walled garden different than Facebook's? It's just bigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, uh, ABC uh, had a had a great st- stat I saw the other day that Google, you know, the media in Google is bigger than uh, the top ten agencies combined. I mean, it's just a prodigious amount of data. Um, but again, they're very the way they use it and the way they, um, some of their algorithms, the way they shut advertisers in and out, I think is, a, is hard. You, you're constantly having to, to swim upstream sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for our listeners, if you, uh, if you care, check out um, this futurist that I follow. Her name is Amy Webb, and she's released a book uh, earlier this year called The Big Nine. And so these are the nine tech companies that really control everything on the planet. Three are in China, Tencent, Alibaba, um, uh, Baidu, and then the other six are, are U.S. companies: Apple, uh, Microsoft, Facebook, uh, Amazon, uh, Google. Probably so Adobe. Adobe, maybe. My, maybe my last question, because we're going to run out of time. Ray, is um, what excites you the most about the future? If you just thought a year or you know, a couple of years down the road, what are you what are you most jazzed about? Well, I mean, we've talked about this today. Um, the, this progression of, of the data, the way it's been building up over the years. And um, we've seen enough that, um, uh, that I'm, I'm excited because it's funny, while we, we're, we're very conscious of privacy concerns, that, that the data that we're using from a marketing perspective is more powerful. And, and we're, we're able actually to be just so much more efficient because we don't have to just put messages out there and hope that it sticks. Like John was saying, is push, push. Because today people are pulling messages. They're, you just can't push anymore. They're choosing when to pull. And so, um, you know, for us, we just want to stay ahead of that curve um, and continue to do that in a privacy-protected way. But also um, uh, just the, the, uh, the way the tools are being built for convenience, uh, for connectivity, um, uh, ease of use, all these things are, are really, uh, from a marketing perspective, make our life a lot easier. Well, we um, without naming specific uh, specific technology or whatever, it's just it's it's the it's the sharing and the aggregating of, of, of data in, used in an effective way. And is, and like like we talk about in every episode of the Undeniable Podcast, this is all changing at an exponential rate. Yeah, I wish I could predict some of it. <laughs> um, I'm always surprised. I remember when fax machines came out. That's how that's, that's how far back ago. And I thought, <laughs> no, no, it'll never. We'll still mail things. People won't fax, <laughs> but yeah, they do. They do fax and uh, emails the same way. So uh, as technology comes and it disrupts, um, but at the end of the day, it, it really is is hopefully just linking us and uh, and creating more convenience and. And uh, for for all all of us, I am holding out for the Star Trek transporter, which should be here next Christmas. Uh, you think? I'm hoping. I mean, I'm gonna pre-order one. Um, oh, you gotta watch the fly, the movie, the fly. You might might just think twice about that. Uh, Ray, Ray, we appreciate your time. We thank you for joining us on uh, on this episode. We are excited about navigating this disruptive future in partnership with DX Marketing and. Um, and uh, embrace all the new things that we can do together, ultimately for our clients. I mean, the win-win is, are we helping companies be successful? Sure. 
Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. This has been The Undeniable. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. For more information on this or any episode of The Undeniable, please visit www.overabove.com forward slash podcast. 